Hey everyone, my name is Adam and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. At the end of today's episode, please take a minute and download our free Chestnut Ridge app. It has all our recent message content and more. You can also head to theridge.church to get information on service times and get info on everything going on here at the Ridge. We hope this podcast will encourage and inspire you as you continue to grow in your relationship with God and others. Good morning. Uh, it's nice to see you here again. I'm, I'm hoping that in the days ahead, uh, we'll be excited to see more and more joining us live once people feel comfortable doing so. Uh, some time ago, I was at a conference in Asheville, North Carolina. I was returning home, and I happened to pass a police car that was parked in the median in between the north and southbound lanes. And when I passed the officer, at the time I passed him, I had my cruise control set at 74, and I was behind another guy who was going the same speed, and both of us were in the passing lane. And as soon as I saw the officer, I just instinctively tapped the brakes. What I did not realize at the time was that the speed limit had gone down from 70 to 65. I thought I was driving about four miles over the speed limit. I didn't realize it had changed. I was driving nine miles over the speed limit. And so I I tried to just kind of blend in with the traffic in the slow lane there and just hopefully I wouldn't be seen. After driving a little bit, I looked in my rearview mirror to see whether the officer was coming out and sure enough, he was. He came out on the highway, he began to speed up and about halfway to where I was, he turned on his lights and I thought, well, this is it. Um, I'm going to get a ticket, and, and this might surprise some of you uh, if you've heard me tell stories about driving, but I've never gotten a speeding ticket before. And even though I hadn't noticed the, the, the change, you know, I know I was speeding, and, I, and frankly, I deserved to get one, so whatever, if I get five at once, you know, I, I just am due a ticket, and so if I'd been pulled over, I would have just accepted it that I was indeed speeding, but I didn't want one. All of a sudden, the officer I noticed was right next to me in the passing lane, driving right beside me. And I decided not to look over. I thought, like, if I look over, he's going to go over there. (laughs) So I just looked straight ahead, like I, I couldn't see him or anything. And then he surprised me by speeding up. He was now a full car length ahead of me in the other lane. And then he put on his turn signal, and he pulled in front of me. And with his light still flashing, he pulled over the guy in front of me and not me. It was the same guy that we had been together when we passed the officer in the first place. He was getting the ticket, not me, and I was so glad about it. And so I kept going. Uh, And this isn't the only time that I've kind of gotten out of tickets that I deserved. I think of another time I was talking to some friends about this and reminded about a time that um, my wife and I were driving into Maryland And sometimes they're kind of picky in Maryland. And I was driving in a a whole train of cars. Like there were probably seven or eight of us and we were all going fast. Much faster than we should have. But I kind of had this idea that if you're in the middle of a group of cars, someone else will get the ticket. And we came around a bend and it looked like a, a sting operation. I kid you not. There were like five or six police cars, all had their lights on and they signaled for everybody over, off the road, everybody. They got us all. Now, on this particular trip, my wife and I had our 
oldest son, who was a baby, sitting in the back seat. And the moment I stopped the car, he started screaming. I don't mean crying. He was screaming. I suspect I startled him by the way I stopped or something. I don't know. But the officer walked over to the window and I rolled it down and he heard this, this piercing scream. It like assaulted him the moment the window opened. And he looked at me and he said, what's wrong with your baby? And I said, nothing. We stopped the car. The baby sleeps when the car is moving. I wasn't trying deliberately to get out of a ticket. And I don't know whether or not uh, the officer thought I can't stand standing there with that crying baby or if he just felt sorry for us. But he said, try to keep your speed down in the future. I'm going to let you go this time. And I said, thank you. And I drove off. And then I looked in my mirror and I realized that officers were writing up either tickets or warnings for everybody else. And I had been spared again. Now, when both of these situations happened, it impacted how I drove the rest of those trips, the rest of the way through Maryland, the rest of the way through North Carolina. I, I kind of learned my lesson. In other words, I was, I'd been careless about my speed and I realized I need to pay attention. It did indeed impact the way I drove. I decided to be just much more careful about it. Now, I know that there are some people I know some people who have gotten a speeding ticket, jumped in the car, and in short order, they got another one because they didn't learn anything from the first one. They got their ticket, they were mad about it, they drove off, and when they thought they were clear, you know, then they took off down the road and suddenly those are the lights again and they got a second ticket. They learned nothing from having been pulled over the first time. Today I want to address the subject. I don't know if I've ever done a talk just on this subject by itself, but the subject is repentance. Uh, repentance, one of the main Greek words for repentance is a word that literally means a change of mind. According to E.E. E. Carpenter, the Greek word for repentance is a compound word derived from meta, meaning after, and suggesting a, a, some type of change. In other words, something comes after. And nous, meaning mind. It's a it's the mind was here and there was a change and now afterwards it's different. That's kind of the idea of repentance. A scholar by the name of Eckmeyer explains the Hebrew word from the Old Testament. The most important aspect of Old Testament repentance is contained in the Hebrew word shub, which expresses the idea of turning back, retracing one's steps in order to return to the right way. In the Old Testament, there are references throughout the Bible to this idea that God wants people to walk in a certain way. And the illustration is used of a path, you know. The Lord illuminates our path, that we're encouraged to stay on the path. You'll see this illustration. It's found throughout the Old Testament. This idea that when a person is living in line with what God wants, they're described as being someone who's walking on the right path. But sometimes we get off the path and then repentance is necessary. And so the Hebrew word here has this idea that you were walking on the path. At a certain point, you got off the path. You realized your error. Repentance means then you turn back to the path and continue going the, the way you should have been going. The story of Jonah is a story of repentance. I, I can't really talk about the book without acknowledging the fact that literally everybody in the book that's mentioned repented. 
I don't know of a single person in the book of Jonah that did, did not repent, that they were going one way and then they ended up going another way. They expressed repentance. It's what the book is about. And because of that, God was able to bless them or God was able to relent concerning what he had planned for them, judgment in the case of the people of Nineveh. And so my takeaway, the shortened version, I've got two versions of my takeaway, but the shortened version is this, when we repent, God will often relent. When we repent, God will often relent. It comes right out of Jonah, chapter three and verse 10, when we read about the response of the people from Nineveh to the preaching of Jonah. It says, then God saw their actions that they had turned from their evil ways, they had repented, so God relented from the disaster he threatened to do to them and he did not do it. A change in response on the part of the people created a context in which God could withhold the judgment that he had planned to do. Now, that's the short version, when we repent, God will often relent. A longer version of this is, and I think how repentance works, is that God invites us and gives us the grace to repent, but he leaves the choice up to us plus the consequences. He invites us and gives us the grace, what we need to, to repent if we're doing things we should not be doing. He gives us, he works in our hearts, changing our hearts, gives us the desire. Paul wrote to the Philippians, God is at work within you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so God's working within our hearts. He invites us to change. He invites us to repent. He gives us the grace to do it, but he leaves the choice up to us, but with the choice come consequences. And had the Ninevites made a different choice, then God would have judged them but it wasn't necessary because they repented. Now the concept of repentance, it can apply to a lot of different things. Uh, for example, and, and they're not all spiritual things. Let me give you an example. Say you are a student and you take a, a test, but before that test you didn't take seriously the idea of studying. You thought, I don't need to study for this, you know. That was your, you just had this laissez-faire attitude towards studying. And then you take the test and you fail it. And you suddenly say, I gotta study for the next one. I better change. That's would be repentance. If at that point you changed what you were doing, because see, repentance starts in the heart, but it usually applies in our actions. We we not only change our thinking about something, but it changes what we end up doing. And so suddenly you find yourself studying for the next test. This time you get an A or maybe a B. That's repentance. Maybe you're in a work environment where you come in late every single day. And the boss has been telling you, stop coming in late, but you're not listening. A lot of repentance, by the way, is about listening to what God's trying to say, listening to what others are trying to say to us. But anyway, maybe you don't listen to your boss and you keep coming in late, and finally the boss says, if you come in late one more time, you're fired. That's kind of what it took. Suddenly you change your routine. You say, well, I gotta do whatever it takes to make sure I get there earlier. What I'm doing is not working. And suddenly you start arriving on time and then what happens is the attitude of your boss toward you changes. This is kind of how repentance often works. When we repent of something, good comes from it. A blessing many times results from it. 
And in the case of the Ninevites, they repented and therefore God relented of what he was going to do. Now today we're going to spend most of our time on Jonah chapter 3. I want to note the fact that Jonah 3 starts almost identically to Jonah chapter 1. The verses are almost completely identical, but in between 1 and 3, there's a little thing called repentance on the part of Jonah. Jonah 1, 1 and 2 said this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their wickedness has confronted me. Now, as you know the story, Jonah didn't want to go. He traveled the 35 miles to Joppa and took a boat going the other direction. And God caused a storm to erupt and the boat was going to break apart and the sailors discovered that it was because of Jonah. And so they threw him in the water at Jonah's command, and at, the, I think, the Lord's command. And God caused a fish to swallow him, as you know, but from within the belly of that fish, a change took place. He was still alive. And chapter 2 is a wonderful prayer. And then we come to chapter 3, and it starts almost exactly the same way. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. This time, Jonah did something different. In verse 3, we read, So Jonah got up, went to Nineveh, according to the Lord's command. Now, Nineveh was an extremely large city, a three-day walk. And so he changed. He repented of what he was doing before. God had a way of getting his attention. Now, I mentioned earlier that really all the characters in the story of Jonah repented. All of them changed. What about the sailors? The sailors were ones who worshiped false gods, which in the Bible, idolatry, this might be a surprise to some of you, but idolatry is not just um, getting the wrong God, but it's sin. It's, It's like immorality. It's violating the first of the great commandments, to love God and only God alone. And after God caused a storm to come on the sea and it was, they thought their lives were in danger and then they threw Jonah over and the sea became completely still. It freaked them out. I mean, they were scared about ceasing, everything stopping then when the thing was stormy. And it says, then the text indicates that they made vows to God and they decided to sacrifice now to God. They set aside their gods and began to worship the true and living God through this difficulty, which oftentimes the thing that gets our attention is a difficulty. I wish it weren't always that way, but often it is. God uses difficult circumstances to get us to reevaluate the course we're on, the path we're on. And, you know, the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says God disciplines those who are his own like a father would a son that he wants to train and and build up. And the discipline is hard sometimes. And so God allows things to try to get our attention, to say, listen, you're on the wrong path. you, You were on the right path. You strayed off. Now you need to repent. And I think all the time God is inviting us and giving us the grace we need to repent. But at the same time, he leaves the choice to us along with the consequences. But of course, the greatest group that repented here are the Ninevites. Their response was incredible. It it was just absolutely remarkable. I don't know that there's an example like it anywhere in the Bible. 
of these Ninevites, when they listened to Jonah's warning after the fish had spit him out and he began to preach in this city. We read in verse four of Jonah three, Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. The men of Nineveh believed in God. That can be also translated, they believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh by order of the king and his nobles, no man or beast, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from the violence he's doing, who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. True repentance often is reflected in signs of repentance. Even the apostle Paul talked about that, produced the signs of repentance. John the Baptist did the same thing as he was baptizing. He said, bring the fruit of repentance. Demonstrate a change of mind and heart. And that's what the people did. This was a proclamation of the king, but listen to all the things they did again, beginning in verse seven. No man or beast, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. That's fasting, withholding from yourself food and water. Verse eight, furthermore, both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. That's the second thing they did. Sackcloth was a very rough, coarse material made from either goat's hair, usually, or camel's hair. And um, those of you that have ever bought potatoes, like in a 50-pound sack, that's, that, that used to be that, what it's like, sackcloth, uh, that burlap that's very, very uh, scratchy. It's very, very uncomfortable. And it was a sign of mourning for them that they, they, they wanted to be covered in this sackcloth. And then it says, everyone must call out earnestly to God, pray. Get on your knees. Seek God about this thing. And then it goes on to say, each must turn from his evil ways and from the violence he's doing. Who knows, the king said, God may turn and relent. There's that word again. And he may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. All of these were signs of of mourning, all of these were signs of self-humiliation. When you fast, fast is denying yourself good food or really any food, you're denying yourself. And it tends, by the way, to really humble you. Fasting does. Uh, if you fast for a few days, you'll find how weak you get, how needy you are for food. It just puts you in this humble place to say, God, I'm, I'm just so broken, so desperate, so human. It's a wonderful place of humility, fasting does, and, and wearing the sackcloth was denying yourself the comfortable clothing that you would normally wear. Sitting in ashes is, is like not sitting in your living room enjoying the comfortable couch, but just sitting among the ashes. All of it was a way of hum humbling yourself, of denying yourself, of preparing your heart to meet God, to show your sorrow. It was a demonstration of great sorrow. In some ways, I think it was a really, 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 really extreme version of Lent, you know, where people for Lent give up something they love lots of times. 
because you want to self-sacrifice something. I'm going to sacrifice something. Only this, all these things they did. Now, why did they repent in this way? This has been a mystery to scholars. Had ever such a thing happened before? This prophet, he wasn't even Gentile. He was a Jewish prophet. He preaches a message and everybody from the greatest to the least believes. They all repent. Why? And we don't know the complete answer to that, but there are some things that have been speculated. Number one, around the time that Jonah was there, there were some natural disasters and natural circumstances that were unusual that would have gotten the attention of the Ninevites. A scholar by the name of J.D. Hanna explains, if Jonah had gone to the city during the reign of the Assyrian king Asherdan III, the prophet may have found the city psychologically prepared for his message by two foreboding famines, one in 765 B.C. and the other one in 759 B.C., and a total solar eclipse on June 15, 763. People in those days often took such events as indicators of divine wrath. They'd experienced two significant, really, really significant famines followed by this solar eclipse. And they concluded, many feel, that God's trying to get their attention. Of course, God had mentioned even to the Israelites that when you see things like famines and pestilence and when, when the neighbors are warring against your borders, when you see things like this, realize God's disciplining you. It's a sign that, that God wants you to repent and turn back. And so that could have been why they responded the way they did. There's also another possible explanation. In 845 AD, between that and 851 AD, a British archaeologist by the name of Austin Henry Layard excavated the remains of two of the capital cities of the Assyrian Empire. One was Nimrud and the other one was Nineveh. And in the process of excavating this, they came across these carved reliefs in stone, these carvings against the wall. And he considered that this carving was a picture of their, one of their main gods, which was Dagon. And there's evidence to the idea that Dagon was actually a half fish, half man. And here's a picture that he used to describe what he saw of, of this fish god or whatever. Imagine for a moment if they believed in such a thing, such a God, and then all of a sudden this big fish shows up and spits Jonah out. And then he says, I have a message for you. I suspect they would have listened. Now, it does kind of raise some questions. You know, would God want to reinforce this idea of a fish God? Probably not, although this would show his superiority over it. Whatever it was, again, we don't know exactly what it was, but they knew this was real, they knew judgment was coming, and they repented, starting with their hearts, food, clothing, everything, they wanted to demonstrate this repentance, and they turned away, and it was dramatic. Now, I want to raise a second question about this. The, why is the story in, in our Bible, the Jewish Old Testament? You know, the stories that we read about in the Old Testament are about Jewish heroes and, and, and the people of God, the nation of Israel, and, and how God worked through them. And then you got this story here of Jonah where this Jewish prophet goes to this pagan 
country and begins to share the gospel? Why is it in the Bible? I'm convinced that the story of Jonah was God's object lesson to them. That God wanted to demonstrate that even at the last minute, he was willing to forgive and pardon and not bring judgment upon them. This, this prophet goes and he preaches a message to the people of Nineveh and they all repented. The thing that we know about Nineveh is that the people there and the Assyrians were particularly, they were violent. If I describe things they did, you, it, would, you, it just would gross you out. They were, they were known as wicked, violent, idolaters, immoral people. I mean, even as the book indicates, their sin was so great that it ascended up into heaven so that God said, it's not worth even anyone living there anymore. He's getting ready to judge the nation. That's how bad it was in Nineveh. And then they heard the prophet Jonah and they repented. And God relented. He didn't do it, what he planned to do. And Israel would have been aware of it. They should have seen what happened. They were God's chosen people. God had sent dozens of prophets to them saying, repent so that God can relent because judgment is coming upon you as well. But they would not listen. They refused to listen. The story of Jonah indicts them. They didn't learn any lessons. God had invited them and gave them the grace to repent and turn from false gods and, and judgment and immorality, all the things they were doing wrong or bad judgments. They, they were, um, didn't have justice in their system. God was giving them the grace to repent and he gave them a choice. He said, the consequences are up to you. And they didn't listen. And what's noteworthy about this is that a few years later, it was 37 years later, the Assyrians, including Nineveh, attacked northern Israel, which involved 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel, and defeated them, and killed them, and carted them off to Assyria. The whole big chunk of Israel was carted off into judgment. 37 years later, by the very group that God spared, because they listened, and Israel did not listen. Now, this story, I think, is also in the Bible as a, an intended lesson for the people of Jesus' day because he used the same story to illustrate that you guys are the same as the Israelites were back then in Jonah's day. In Matthew 12, 40 and 41, we read, for as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights... So the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's proclamation. And look, something greater than Jonah's here. Jesus was the Son of God and God the Son, the, the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father was through Jesus and they rejected him. And so Jesus gave them this warning you haven't learned anything from the story of Jonah. You, you refused to repent and turn to me. And they crucified him. And after all of that happened, about 40 years would pass and the Romans came in and completely, they ransacked the city, they destroyed the temple, they slaughtered and enslaved the people. 
And for the next almost 2,000 years, there wasn't even a nation of Israel. They didn't listen, they didn't learn. And I believe that God has put this story, of course, in the Bible for our instruction. We, need, we should learn something from it. We should learn how gracious and kind and compassionate God is and how willing he is to forgive, but we should also learn something about the fact that sometimes he disciplines us. Sometimes he tries to get our attention. Our God wants to bless us, but sometimes we're off the path and we're in a position where he can't. The God we read about in Joel chapter 2, 12 and 13 is the same God of today. Where Joel wrote, even now, this is the Lord's declaration, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes. And return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in faithful love, and he relents from sending disaster. The Ninevites repented. How much time did it buy them? According to Dr. Hannah, Nineveh's repentance delayed God's destruction of the city for about 150 years. The people evidently fell into sin again so that later the city was destroyed in 612 B.C. I am convinced that God loves to extend kindness and blessing and forgiveness. But I have some questions for us today just to consider. Number one is, is there something in your life, some area of your life, that you know God wants you to repent, some area where you know you're on the right path, wrong path, and he's, he's revealed that to you. And maybe you've been hard-hearted about it or, or just, just ignored or whatever, and God's trying to get your attention. I want to encourage you to consider repenting. But second, I realize that sometimes it's not easy to do that. And sometimes there are things we love and, and they aren't good. And so maybe we need to have a different prayer. Maybe our prayer needs to be along the lines of, God, I want it to be and do what you want for me. But I, I need you to change my heart. Give me a heart of repentance. Because God is able to give us that. He's able to change our perspective, help us to see. So that we would follow him and we would do what's right. A uh, third thing that I think we could do is invite others in to help us for some accountability. In the book of James, we read that we should confess our sins to one another and pray for one another so that we may be healed because, because the prayer of the righteous accomplishes much. Confess your sins to one another. This is hard to do, but this is part of the humbling sometimes that gives God this opportunity to really extend grace because God's opposed to the proud who defiantly move forward, but God gives grace to the humble. And maybe others can help hold us accountable. And then I want us to realize that it's possible to repent of an area, but then fall in it later. It may happen. If so, get back on the path. Don't use that as an excuse to keep going the wrong direction. We will all fail in ways. And there are more opportunities to come back. And then finally, I want to mention this, that I want to encourage you to decide today to do something, not, not to just let this go, but decide to do something if God's putting something on your heart. The greatest repentance, by the way, is salvation. Salvation is a changing of mind primarily about, I think, two things. Number one, your sinfulness, my sinfulness, and Jesus Christ as the solution to the problem. 
And I say repentance is necessary, a change of mind, because most people that I have met over the years don't think they're very sinful. They have this idea that, that you can, you know, you're good enough, you'll get to heaven. None of us are good enough. None of us are righteous. All of us, by virtue of sin, have forfeited eternal life. Do you realize that? Because God is perfect and we're not. All of sin, we all fall short of the glory of God, the standard of God. So a change needs to take place in the, in the way we view sin to realize, I've got a problem. And if you don't see that, ask God to help you see it. But the other side of it is Jesus. I think most people in our country are trusting in themselves to get to heaven. They're trusting in their good works. Maybe they're trusting in their church attendance. Maybe they're trusting in a variety of different things, but repentance means you change your mind about what you're trusting in and put your trust in Jesus. See, God sent his own son into the world specifically to take upon himself our sin. He was judged in our place so that God could extend forgiveness to us as a gift, a free gift. And Jesus died, but he rose again from the dead. He became the savior of the world. But the response God has for us is to put our trust in him. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Whoever puts their trust in him will have eternal life. So there has to be a repenting of, of going from yourself being your own savior to Jesus being your savior and going from thinking I'm a really good person to realizing I've got a sin problem. And when you put those things together, when you put your trust in Christ, you receive the free gift of eternal life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story. It's not an easy story. And yet, oh Lord, we recognize that it is there to help us. And really everything you do for us is for our good. We acknowledge that, Lord. We know that. And I do ask you to work within our hearts. I ask you, Lord, to give us a heart to change wherever we need, whether that's, it could be relationship, it could be some sin in our life, it could be some habit that's not healthy, it could be our, un, our lack of love for others, whatever it is that we need to, to change, maybe learning to love our spouse better, whatever it is you want us to change and give us the grace to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.